I could stay here forever. Her face changed like the weather. Looks like we're running out of night time. So I went to grab my jacket. The music's still aesthetic. My mind's still swimming in the red wine. That's when I said the worst is over. That's when I said nobody run. That's when I saw I saw the future. You were my only one. 'Cause I could wait here a lifetime. Stood out in the hallway, ten footsteps from your driveway. Tired of waiting for the right time, so I blurted out, "I love you more than the angels above you, more than the city lights at midnight." That's when she said, "The worst is over." That's when she said nobody ran. So there we were, a stolen woman holding a broken man. 'Cause I could wait here a lifetime. I could wait here a lifetime. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Pack up your wedding gown. Elvis just left town. It was no secret he was crazy. It was just about the worst time to cave in. Must have been another wrong guy. That's no sin. 
end there that you had to make sure we got in there because he put it in there. That was Chris Trapper with Cost of Constant Traveling. Uh, yeah, I can relate to that, being a child of a father who was a constant traveler. <laughs> and just starting to get a little bit of the feel of that in my own life. Uh, traveling still exciting to me, but I'm sure it won't be someday. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, it's February 28th, which you know what that means. Tomorrow is March. March, March, March. Yes, folks, you know you tune in here just to hear me be really pissed off at the passage of time. Once again, March, March, March. I was thinking today, really? January and February gone. I'm pretty sure I experienced them. I remember being alive during those two months. But really, they're gone already. I know February is a little shorter, but it's only three days shorter. It's not like it's three weeks shorter or something. So uh, March will be happening tomorrow. And my backyard is telling me that it's happening because the jasmine is literally about to explode. There's little like red buds all over the whole plant. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have to go back in my journal and see if 
it it happened this early last year. You know, I'm also, you know, keeping notes on the global warming thing, too. I'm pretty sure that any day now, I'll be able to grow grapes in my backyard or something like that, or maybe cactus to make tequila. Maybe that's what I'll be working on. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> March is happening. And um, uh, what else? Oh, well, the Oscars happened on Sunday, of course. Lots of for 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 all about that. Um, we, maybe we'll get into that with my uh, guest today a little bit too. I was on the Rubin Report, by the way, this week. Uh, uh, Rubin Report. Dave Rubin has a new show on YouTube called The Rubin Report. It's brought to you by the same people that do The Point and The Young Turks with Yank Ungar, who we love. Um, Dave Rubin had a whole section on the Oscars. So we got to, you know, talk all about that and talk about the um, famous Onion tweet also, uh, which, uh, you know, I know plenty of cunts, but not many nine-year-old ones. Couple, but just they're usually guys. Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, the Oscars, interesting, interesting. Um, the ratings were up, so the network's happy, and uh, the Oscar people, the Academy's happy. But of course, you know, they insist on everyone dressing up really classy, and uh, the women looking gorgeous in their gowns and their in their classic Hollywood fare. And then they they give us a host. Love Seth MacFarlane as a person and as a writer normally, but they give us a host who's basically attracting the 15 to 24 male demographic. Interesting. <laughs> I'm very confused. Who are the Oscars for? I do not know. As, as I said before, you can't please. You can't please the Hollywood people and the other billion people on earth at the same time. So. Uh, it's an impossible job. Bless his heart. Uh, I wouldn't want it. Um, and um, what else is going on? Oh, I was really proud of myself this week. Um, a, I came up with a really funny uh, hashtag game, start of a hashtag game. And I actually was somewhere in my car and actually told Siri to write it down, which Greg, my guest, will be very happy with me. I'm using Siri for my note taking these days. Um, but I, <laughs> I came up with Yoni Loves Chachi, hashtag ancient sitcoms. And the thing I love about starting hashtag games is that I go on about a week later and search the hashtag that I've created and there's thousands of people playing it. It makes me feel like God. It really does. Uh, so, you know, a little ego boost. We've talked a lot about here, the social media and the ego boost. A little ego boost, you know, if you ever need to feel like something, get that hashtag game going and that'll make you feel good about yourself. You won't need therapy anymore. Imagine that. It's so, so, it's such, such, so much cheaper than therapy. Um, and uh, before I get into my essay, yes, I've written another essay for this week. Before I get into my essay, I just have a hot tip for the girls out there, just in case you're trying to get a, a, you know, multitasking and you have a lunchtime appointment at your gynecologist, I do not recommend bringing your lunch into the waiting room and eating it. It, I, I just have to say it's, it sounded like a good idea. Usually I can eat my lunch anywhere. But as I started to eat my lunch in the gynecologist's waiting room, there was just something extremely unappetizing about it. <laughs> I, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, I think we have the howling dog today. That'll be fun. My neighbor has an old dog and they put him outside any house. So um, if you hear a howling dog in the background, no, that is not my guest. And no, it is not Logan. I let everyone have bathroom breaks here. I do. I swear. Uh, it is the neighbor's dog. I don't even know his name. I'll have to find out. 
Anyway, uh, I've got a little essay here today. I'm just calling it soul for now. I don't know what else to call it. I don't really have time to name these things. I barely have time to write these things, people. Uh, so here it is. I am not here to turn you on to the five ways to manifest your dreams or the seven secrets to find your soulmate or how to add three zeros to your yearly income. No, these things are not why I am here. When I studied to become a life coach in 2006, I was excited by the prospect of helping people tap into their deepest selves to unleash the work that they were here to do in order to move the whole planet forward toward a more peaceful, abundant and balanced world. I saw the chance to wake people up to a purpose way larger than just increasing the square footage of the house they live in. And although I was trained to hold my client as creative, resourceful and whole, I was also tacitly asked to play a game that I was told was necessary to play. You see, most clients come to you with a problem. They want to change something, uh, their career, their work, their body, their relationships, their bank accounts, something is off. And they know that if they just change something, then everything will finally fall into place. In the world of coaching I come from, that is called the client's agenda, agenda with a little a. But what we are really taught to coach is not the little a agenda, but the big a agenda, helping the client connect to a deeper sense of who they are, why they are here, and a wisdom they can tap into to guide them along the way. And if you coach their big a agenda, the little stuff falls into place. Wow, I thought this is so cool. You lure them in with the little a, but really work with the big a. Great. Uh, But here's the funny thing. I'm not good at luring people in by selling them the little a stuff. Never have been, never will be. I'm pretty sure it must be because of my DNA. I mean, those little a things aren't bad in and of themselves. And it's not like I don't hope you or me or anyone find these things in your life. But I'm just not interested in helping you get them if all that does is plug you into the very system that created the desire in you to change yourself to begin with. I do not want to make you fit better into a system whose overall purpose is to undermine the meaning in your life and the health of your mind and body so that they can then sell you a product that will promise to give you back the meaning of your life and the health of your mind and body. I do not wish to aid and abet any course of action that will fit you into the machine that produces something that you do not like. And so I thought, fuck it. I'll just sell the big A items like discovering your life purpose, connecting to your path, or living from your highest self. Oh, dear. That just made me sound like a shelf of books in the New Age bookstore. And although what I want you to connect with are all of those things, that New Age self-help stuff is just too earnest, floaty-toady. And as you know, if you spend any time with a in, with a Buddhist retreat-going, vegan-eating, overly politically informed activist, they usually have very little sense of humor about it all. It is really hard to sell that big A stuff without sounding like a total asshole. So I looked for help. How do I get my message across? Who do I turn to so that I can do this work, make a decent living and help this artistic soul find her way in the world of entrepreneurship? 
what I found was a ten was ten thousand marketing companies that for an arm and a leg frames your big A items into a message that sells, 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 a package of services that tap into what the people really want, 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 a message that is easily edible by the average consumer, consumer, consumer. Consumer. James Hillman, the father of archetypal psychology, said that we've had a hundred years of psychotherapy and the world is getting worse. Hillman was and is a radical in the world of psychology. He trained as a Jungian analyst, and like most Jungians, he saw the world in a very different way than the average 20th century psychologist. He believed that one of the worst things that therapy was doing was making people into oversensitive, self-focused, compliant citizens. He believed that most of the anxiety, depression, rage, and dysfunction of the average client was less about their personal situation and more about the state of the world that they found themselves in. He felt that modern psychology had become too focused on the individual and not enough focused on the whole of life. Although he was a depth psychologist, someone interested in the unconscious life of the human, he felt that psychology, which literally means the study of the soul, was not living out its full mandate. It had placed the soul psyche solely inside the human and had left out the world in which we live. Humans saw everything as a manifestation of psyche not just the person. Or as Junior Wells, the Chicago blues singer once said, it's all soul. Soul. Confusing word. There are endless descriptions, definitions, and ultimately wars fought over such a term. But damn, when I say it, I know what it means. It, it, it is some connection to something that is uniquely me and yet so much bigger. Where I studied psychology, there was a lot of talk about psyche and soul. I would start to think I got a glimpse of what it all meant, and then it would slip away. Hillman saw psyche in everything, every person, every object, every experience, the soul of this very existence manifesting itself in everything around us. And he believed that it was our job to be able to be in conversation with it all. That is what is meant when I say, like I did last week, that I'm beginning to live in a world where I see everything as alive. Everything is conversing with us in every moment. But earlier this week, I had a, an epiphany, what soul really, really means to me. Soul is the aspect of self that knows it belongs here, that it belongs here on earth. It, it has a right to be here. It is the part of me that already knows why it is I am here and how to walk and live here. And suddenly it became so clear. I've spent much of my life feeling grief for my inability to reach across the chasm within me to this soulful knowing. I've always known it was there within me somewhere, but had not a clue how to make it conscious. Or if I did get a glimpse of it in myself, I had no idea how to have the courage to live my daily life from that place. I see now my admiration has always gone to people I feel that have found their way to be in it, living their lives, lives as if they knew they belonged. Mostly these people are artists of some sort, writers, performers, painters, photographers, but also others, philosophers, mystics, innovators, teachers. Clearly, I was seeing in them the part inside myself I longed to be in communion with. It feels like 90% of my life was spent in that longing. Funny, I'd, I'd always assumed this longing was about not doing what I should be doing in this life. I, I wasn't writing and speaking and playing. At times, I also believe that if there was just this peace missing in me, 
I would never know how to make myself just do the things I knew I was here to do. But now I see that it wasn't a piece missing from me. I was missing. I was missing from myself. I was missing from the world. I see now that it ultimately does not matter what you are doing, but it is in the belonging. For if you belong, then what you do is naturally what you are here to do. For if you belong, you will manifest your dreams because that is what soul is, the confluence of the imagination in this embodied life. You belong here on this earth. Everything around you is here to engage with. You are not a mind floating around thinking thoughts and ideeing ideas. You are not a consumer to be used by the economies of power. You are not a pile of neurotic symptoms to be tamed by the latest therapies and pills. You belong here, in this body, on this earth, amid the other creatures, to be the coordinator between imagination and the material world. You are here to make things, create things, engage with things, love things, relate to things. And who knows, by doing this, you just may add three zeros to your yearly income. Somewhere out there in the world tonight, there's a man hungry and sick and frozen with fright, who is trying to cross the United States border. I'm up here on the fourth floor tonight, I'm hungry, I'm sick, and I'm frozen with fright, I'm trying to get my hilarious life in order. all happened before people die in a war it's all happened before when last we spoke I made a terrible joke you laughed but you knew it was a terrible joke There was a time not that long ago when all of my jokes were good ones. So maybe I lost it in the back of that truck. Or that night we swam naked in the lake. And we stuck to each other. And we clutched and we kissed. And we knew we could make it.
give anything to know what that wish was. Another planet tonight. I'm fairly certain there's intelligent life, and they're using their time and their tests to figure out what love is. That was the score by John Elliott. Thank you for the music today, Logan. Both of those are very beautiful. So now my guest, I'm excited to have my guest here today. Uh, my guest is Greg Miller. And I know that's not the way you're supposed to introduce people. Normally, you're supposed to in a live event, give them all the credits and then say their name last because that's what Dylan Brody told me. But I find on the radio show, it's kind of awkward to like talk, like say he and it and da da da. But you know, so I don't know how to do that correctly. Uh, anyway, Greg, Greg has done a million things. I have a list here of things. This man has been busy Greg is a writer, producer, teacher, and writing coach who has worked with a virtual who's who of progressive comedy talent in TV, film, print, live theater, clubs, radio, audio, video, and online new media. I think that covers just about every freaking outlet you can imagine. He is the co-creator with Beth Lapidus, a Waking from the American Dream alum and founding producer of UnCabaret. You guys all know about UnCab. We've talked about it here a lot. Um, his work in TV, among other things, a bazillion other things, but I picked this one thing out because I thought it was just a great cast of people. Greg produced Comedy Central's High Octane with Sofia Coppola, Zoe Cassavetes, Flea. Wow, I just love that group of people. And um, and produced and directed the stand-up series The Sweet Smell of Excess with Margaret Cho, Michael Patrick King, and Moon Zappa. You're hanging out with cool people, Greg. Greg is the co-director and founder of The Comedian's Way, a fabulous writing and performance workshop that he leads with Beth. Um, it's literally a place where it's like the safest space in America to go and just try things out. And it's the place where I tried my very, very little first crack at five minutes of stand up. That's how safe that space is. Uh, Greg began his career producing live theater, music, video installations and performance events for The Kitchen in New York. Look it up, people, if you don't know about The Kitchen, uh, where he worked with Philip Glass, Lori Anderson, John Cage, Nam June Pike, Eric Bogosian, Vito Act at Chodenchi and began his long-term collaboration with Miss Beth, Beth Lapidus. But here's my favorite paragraph. Greg's grandmother was a writer, his grandfather a musician, and both his parents were actors. He was stroked in the womb by Marilyn Monroe and Marlon Brando, and his first babysitter was Barbara Streisand. No wonder he's been comfortable around the talent he's been surrounded by. That's hysterical. <laughs> I love that. So Babs was your first babysitter. Hi, Kelly. What do you want? Welcome to the show, darling. Apparently, I used to complain that she would always sing around the house. <laughs> she did pretty good on the Oscars the other night. Yeah, she's got the pipes. Man, she's like, she's. they say sometimes, you know, the voice goes a little bit or the range goes, but 
Well, and she's a perfectionist, so you know that she yeah. she dialed in, she dialed up for that performance. But also, wow. I think one of the great things about her as a singer is the is the um, what do you call it? The cadence mm-hmm. that she finds in the lyrics. Yes, that is yes. actually makes you understand what the lyrics are saying. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that is very true. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, I remember it as in high school um, when. Um, uh, the uh, A Star is Born came out with her and Chris Christopherson. And of course, I was of that age and Chris Christopherson was hot. Uh, and we went to see it. And I love music and I love movies that, you know, are about Hollywood and music and everything. And man, that whole album was just an incredible, incredible album. Ah, uh, uh, Evergreen. Oh, my Lord. You know. Who knew? Should I, I take credit for her, too? I think you should. It was all due to I babysitting did, me. All due to Greg's early influence of <laughs> sucking his thumb in front of Barbara Streisand. <laughs> so um, I don't even know where to start with you, Greggy. Um, there's so much here to talk about. Uh, let's, uh, let's, I want to talk a little bit about your background first. We're going to get to your book in a minute. Okay. But um, so you started out in New York in that those great, incredibly interesting days. Like I'm so jealous. It was a good time, man. It was the it was the tail end of the downtown performance media scene, mm-hmm. but it was it they still had it. Yeah, yeah. There were still people experimenting, and and yeah. it was able to exp, you know innovate and. It was before the lofts and and real estate got too expensive yes. for the artists, yes. and they had to either you owned your loft or you had to flee to Brooklyn. Right, right. <laughs> it was right before Soho became trendy. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about, um, I mean, it was my college like work study job, mm-hmm. and one of the great things about being in the nonprofit art world is you have to do everything yourself yeah, and you have permission to do everything yourself. Mm. And so I was, there was a giant uh, steel cabinet in the office, in one of the offices. And I was like, oh, what's in there? And I open it up and it's all of these, like the first video art. Wow. All these spools of in cassettes and oh, giant, wow. do you remember three quarter inch oh, tape? Yes, and like, you know, spools of loose videotape. I was like, what's ha- what's going on in here? This needs to get organized. So I organized the archive and then I started renting and, you know, leasing it to like art galleries in Europe and, wow. um, and producing stuff. I was like, oh, wait, I have an idea for a show. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, okay, great. Go for it. <laughs> wow. So th- there must have been something about the freedom to do that and yet there was a confidence you had to because i guess there was no there was no authority figure i mean you all were the authority yeah. figures you were all making it up as you went along anyway yeah well another an, an ethic that we carried into the uncabaret mm-hmm. it was like you're in the basement rec room and the parents are upstairs <laughs> right <laughs> Shh, we can do whatever we want I think that's such an important stance. I mean, I think it connects to what I was talking about, that sense of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. That you you do get to be the author of not only your life, but really as a creative person, waiting for an authority figure to come around and give you a stamp of approval is um, a, a form of hell. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least, you know, at least in the early phases of mm. developing work and developing a project, I think you have to kind of put the editor aside and give yourself permission to just do something. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, because if you don't, how do new unique voices come forth? I mean, they don't. They right. just they get stifled and edited, pre-edited, and yeah. the machine would like you know they they say they want new voices. But when a new voice... But do they really mean that? No, I don't think they do. No. No, they want something, the thing that made that had the ratings last year. They want an old voice, but with a new package. Right. <laughs> oh, that is so true. Oh, we Prevenza and I were just talking about this yesterday, and mm-hmm. how frustrating the business is in that way. Yeah. So, and yet it's exciting times because new voices, you know, if you can be found and yes. heard, everyone's got... A chance to everyone put their has new- access now. Yep. Um, yeah. This is the 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 beauty of now is that all of the pre existing certain certainly in the entertainment business and books and and music and and uh, and TV all the old structures are kind of wobbly. Yep. And they're still in place, but also you can just go do it yourself. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Of course, that means you have to then do it do yourself and really do everything yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, very high, tall learning curve there. Yeah, there's a lot to do. There is a lot to do. There's, you know, I think we're all doing 20 jobs and we're all getting paid for about a half of one. If you're lucky. (laughs) If you're lucky, exactly. (laughs) But damn, it's fun to be alive right now in this too. It's an exciting time. I really think it is. And there's a lot of really great work being done in all media. Yeah. Yeah, this is very true. I mean, even mainstream television is, there are... There's th- a lot of good stuff on cable, for sure. Oh, yeah, cable's amazing right now. Cable, yeah. cables. Isn't cable mainstream? N- yeah, I guess it is. I'm talking about like NBC, ABC, you know. Uh, I mean, I mean NBC. Oh, my God, I was, I was watching last night. They were promoting something. Oh, I wish I could remember what it was. It was so bad. It was a reality something or other. And I looked at my husband and I thought, really, this is the direction. This is, this is NBC coming back. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as long as it keeps as long as it works on some level, yeah. they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, they they still get millions of viewers, right? Well, I, like you said in the intro, the Oscars are still drawing huge numbers. Yes. So yeah, yeah, it's still working, and yet there's a whole other reality that's simultaneously happening. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of what makes it interesting. Also, they're both going on at the same time. Yeah, there's um, the people in the towers are scared. Because the 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 populace has awoken, <laughs> and yet um, the populace still wants to be Kim Kardashian and and you know have a big you know get a big sponsor and and get a car deal or whatever you know I mean it's so yeah it's good to get paid it is good to get paid it is I'm actually working on that in therapy right now getting paid for my my art oh it's important to get paid it is do you what do you when you work with clients do you do any of them come to you with this issue about you know well but I get to but I get to write or be funny and isn't that you know I'm not no one you know people would love to be able to do what I get to do and I get to express myself and so my thing is so that's value enough you know I'll I'll be okay if you you know I don't you don't have to pay me for that sure well you know there was this whole <laughs> flap going on with the UCB not paying stand ups yes which you know stand ups have traditionally not get paid, gotten paid a lot of the time. Yep. Um, and there's, and that's the issue. People who aren't in entertainment are like, why would you, you can't be working for free? My God, it's exploitation. Right. And it's like, well, that's the reality of trying to get seen and yes. to work your craft. Yeah. Everything becomes right. Either working your craft or a showcase yeah. situation. Yeah. Exactly. But at some point, 
it is nice to think that you could actually, you know, make a living. I mean, there are paintings worth millions of dollars in museums. <laughs> Somebody's getting paid for something. Yeah, most, mostly by dead people. By dead people, that's but, true. That know, is true. A couple of lives. That helps people. the uh, that helps the price. Yes. If you die, that is yeah, damn. I don't. I don't want that option yet. Not, not up for that yet. <laughs> You'd rather go along not getting paid. Well, you know, I'm. I'm willing to start getting paid a reasonable amount. Yeah. I don't have to be, uh, you know, crazy about it. Yeah. You know, I. But speaking of which, I saw while I was leaving the doctor's office today. I saw Sylvester Stallone in the lobby, and uh, that's, a, that's a man who's been paid a lot of money in his life. He looks tired and old. You know what? Yeah. You get tired and old anyway. Well, <laughs> even if they pay you millions you might of dollars. You'll get paid while you're at it. <laughs> but he has great doctors, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> They're keeping him young and vital. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I have, I, uh, I work with a lot of writers one on one in private coaching. Mm hmm. Sort of on an as-needed basis. Sometimes right. it's once a week. Sometimes there'll be a, a spate of it. Um, I've sort of developed this uh, kind of sub-niche, mm -hmm. uh, which is people who have had another life yes. besides writing or creative work, and now they want it. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so that's sort of a different uh, psychology. That is, Definitely. Yeah, I've I've worked with some people like that myself, and uh, I find that a fascinating client to work with. Yeah, well, because they have something to write about. Number one, yes, is great, uh, and also they um, they really want to do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They've been thinking about it usually for a long time. Yes, yeah, and it's like, and now it's time. Yeah. Yeah, there's always uh, so it's exciting. Yeah, and there's like a, there is that longing to like I've always wanted to be creative, and yeah. and now I'm giving myself permission to do it. Yeah, you yeah. have to try. I mean, this is, I forget where I some old homily of like you don't regret the things you didn't do. You, you know, you don't regret the things you did. You regret the things you didn't do. Absolutely. And I think that's really especially true of creative pursuits. It's like if you n don't ever try doing it, mm -hmm. it's gonna that's not going to be good. Yeah. You I should try. I think Wayne Gretzky said something great too about that. He said, um, you'll, you'll never make a goal if some, some, something like, you know, you, you, you never make the shot. You have to take the shot to make the goal. Something like that. You have to take the shot. You to have to take the shot to yeah. make the goal. Yeah. You know, you just, you do, you have to take the shot. Yeah. At some point it is shit or get off the pot. Yeah. And yet it's nerve wracking and you're, you know, this is, I mean, I've I've worked with a lot of people and there's consistent stumbling blocks that people hit. And mm -hmm. one of them is uh, right before they start actually yes. working. Like yes. Thinking about, oh, I've been thinking about it for years. And do you have a notebook? No. <laughs> have you actually, maybe it's time to just... Write something down. Uh, but, about and it. then there's sort of a, a parallel bookend one. At the end, we've had the draft, you've done a rewrite, you've done a couple of rewrites, you're getting good feedback on it. And then something happens. It's like, I don't know if I want to actually, like, there's the actual sending out. Yes. Because I, I was there a lot in my life. I can totally. We've all been there. Yeah. It's because then it's really like, oh, gotta face the music yeah. out there. Time to get rejected. <laughs> Exactly. 
So then you read 25 books on how all the authors who sent out all the millions of manuscripts, how it took 20 years for Oliver Stone to, you know, finally make his first film, you know. Yeah, you brace yourself for all the rejection to come. Yeah. And there's, I mean, a lot of writers have this, uh, Stephen King, you know, had had his like rusty nail on the wall. And when he got his rejection (laughs) letters, he'd put them on the rusty nail. And I actually, when I started, I started off as a freelance journalist. And I had a folder that was called Rejections. Mm. And I was like, I got to fill my folder. Let's go. Let's go. It's par for the course. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. There's the perfectionists in us and the ones who um, maybe had the kind of the lucky life early on that things always came easy. Mm. Like that was me. And you know, I was good in school. Things mm-hmm. came easy for me in school. Then I was good at horseback riding. Things came easy mm-hmm. for me there. And then you walk out into the real world, you know, of, of you know, with multitude of, of, of opinions and perspectives. And you have to learn to pay your dues. It's just part of it. It just is. And that can be scary for an ego that's not that that's not really doesn't have a lot of um, belief in itself, a real belief in itself. Yeah. You know, maybe it's just puffed up, inflated, you know, gold star. I was an honor student type of belief in yourself. <laughs> the bumper sticker culture <laughs> of it all. Um, I love it. The, uh, the, uh, the beginning of your book, I, the first section you have about gathering, I just, I love the, the metaphor of gathering. And for me, um, I got to witness that in my own life from really very early on because my father, when he was very young, uh, the first job he ever had at a radio station in Shreveport, Louisiana, he was 18 or 19 in the Air Force. And his boss said to him at that time, write everything down. And my dad, because he was a little OCD, took that to heart, was very excited <laughs> he did about that literally. It. He did. And I spent my whole life watching my dad always and we had notes notepads and pens on every corner of every counter in the house and then when those little recorders came out my dad you know had one of those or two or three and and so i watched someone really use that what you write about in your book and because it proof is in the pudding that man had 14 hbo shows <laughs> he's the, the most prolific stand up there is you know yeah. at this time uh and that's because he wrote everything everything. It's a great role Damn. model to have. It is. And yet, I'm 49 years old and I'm just starting. I've been I mean I've been writing on and off a little bit here and there my you know the last 10 15 years, but literally I am just starting to take myself seriously enough. Yeah. to write it all down. Yeah. And and so what what is that for people that they have to What's what's this? What the thing that has to kind of switch over for someone to really make that commitment to themselves? Um, I don't think it's binary. I don't think it's an on-off switch. Actually, mm. I think you can wade in, mm-hmm. and um, I mean that's been my experience. Uh, there's levels of committing something to paper, talking to someone about something, making a rough draft, showing that to somebody. You know, starting with people that you trust who are sort of inner circle friends who will give you some real feedback, mm-hmm. but but also love you through it. But also love you even if you write write a crappy book. Yeah, uh, and um, that can get you some of the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, I think that partly it's like. It, it, it's such a weird, you know, writing is such a weird combination of um, ego and self-doubt. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, 
within the same, you know, 10 minutes, God. <laughs> you'll have, you know, I'll have, any writer will have like, oh my God, this is such a, I can't believe I've come up with this. What did, I'm a genius. And then f- five seconds later, you're like, I must be kidding myself. I'm not, no one's interested in this. What am I doing? You know, and you kind of seesaw back and forth between those two and you kind of just have to proceed anyway. Yes. Yes. Not take any of the voices in the head too seriously and, yeah. and keep marching forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, I, the, the, the book is structured about around the internal process uh-huh. of writing a, a, big project like a book or a script. I mean, a short essay, most people can get through at some point yes. because you get an idea, you lay something down, and pretty soon you're done with it. Yep. Uh, with a bigger project that happens over time, it's a different process and it's a more sustained process. And so the 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 first stage is just gathering material. Mm-hmm. And the perfectionist in us is always like, but how will I structure it and what will it be? And I don't have a perfect first line yet. And, right. you know, there's all of these reasons to not, <clears throat> excuse me, to not move forward with yeah. it. And so there's, I, for, I have some quotes in the book also. I think it was William Gibson, the sci-fi writer, was uh, writing, if you're going to write, you have to develop a, a healthy revulsion at your own work. <laughs> It's like you have to write some crappy stuff. Yes, you you're going to write some crappy stuff. Yes. That doesn't mean you're not. Right. It's not a worthwhile project. Right, and it doesn't mean it's not part of the writing process. It's totally part of it. It is part process. of it. I mean, for me, Anne Lamott taught me that shitty first drafts. I mean, without everybody that has written phrase. That. Yes, it doesn't. I can't sit down normally most days. Right. Unless I give my permi- permission to just be shitty, shitty, shitty. Who cares? Right. God knows what it's going to be. Right. Um, but, if, you know, and so so I'm a big advocate of gather the material, then do some – then step back and be critical and do some planning and think about really what's the genre, how's it going to be, what's the beginning, middle and end, you know, some other – I have a whole bunch of different ways to outlining, outline the project. Then in the rough draft, again, you want to suspend the critical judgment and right. just jam – the, then the the goal of the rough draft is trust some of the decisions you made in the planning phase mm-hmm. and get to the end. Right. Because uh. once you're into the rough draft, you're you you're in the trees. You can't see the forest. Yes. And so you gotta just hack your way through <laughs> right. to the other side <laughs> and then you can sit back and look and, and and get a little perspective on it and show it to somebody else and, and have a sense of what you've even done. Right, right. So do you do suggest people having an idea, having an outline and having a, a, a general idea of beginning, middle and end of this thing? Uh, it helps. It helps. It does. Because I don't it helps think you- it's necessary, uh-huh. but it does help. I'm not a great outliner, mm-hmm. frankly. I mean, every writer has different sort of natural abilities and different skills. Right. I'm really good at getting out of fast, rough draft. Mm-hmm. Quick and dirty. I can jam it out. Wow. Um Outlining, I have a. It's more challenging for me to stop and really think it through. Yeah, it's a different part of the brain. Totally different part of the brain. Yeah, and I, I think it can be helpful at some stages, yeah. but I think sometimes you just, like you said, you need to be in the muck of it. Yeah, 
And you don't always know, and that shouldn't prevent you from right. writing. But I mean, I know from my own writing, I've written a lot of screenplays, and uh, which is an extremely rigorous format, and you everything really counts in there. And it really helps to write a scene if you know what you're writing towards. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like what's the end of the script? What's the end of the scene? You know, if yeah. you have a goal, you can, you know, it it makes things go faster and smoother. Yeah, and, and that goal, I've, I've found for myself with holding kind of an ending in something, it's so weird. Writing is such an interesting process because it's such a somatic process in so many ways. Sometimes it's just a sense of a feeling I have about where I want to land and I haven't even put words to it yet. Yep. But I know there's a completion feeling in it. And I can feel in my writing if I'm my GPS is on or off course. <laughs> it's such a right. weird thing to say, but it is true. Right. So I mean that's you've been de- you've developed that over years. Yeah. Right? That doesn't just happen. Yeah. That comes from trying stuff and feeling oh, I don't know about this, but doing it anyway, and then it doesn't pan out, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, okay, when I have that feeling, that means I should listen to it, and it's probably a dead end or it's somehow off the yeah. track of where I wanted to really go. Right. Or it's a separate piece that needs to go over there, right? And I need to just make it a separate thing and stay on this course over here. Right. I mean, I do think that for me anyway, uh, there, there's a lot of psychological boost to getting through a rough draft. Mm-hmm. If you can get through a rough draft by any means necessary, just get there. Yeah. Um, and then you can go back and you can go, you know what, this scene, I love the scene, but it doesn't really belong here or this idea. But then you cut it out and you put it in the compost pile and it turns into something else somewhere else. Right, right. Uh, you know, then you can step back and sort of look at the good of the whole. Yes. Uh, but in the in the doing, why not to go down some crazy path? Yeah. You never know. It could really pan out. Sometimes you have a good instinct like, oh, that – you know, though that story that you know I, that that I've been thinking about lately about you know growing up or whatever it is, right? Uh, part of it, you know, it's a it's sort of a alternation between conscious and subconscious mind, mm-hmm. I think, and mm-hmm. you kind of have to surf back and forth, yeah, to really get through you know any project that has artistic dramatic. Reality yeah. to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's it's that it's it's similar to being a performer on stage where you have to be fully in the moment and yet if if you're working with script, you you have words that you have to say and you know where you have to go and you know, you're not trying to play that thing, but you there's some part of you that's definitely like the master controller in there and right. <laughs> can kind of see the lay of the land of right. it all. Right. You know, yeah. Right. And part of it, I mean, I, I learned a lot. I learned a tremendous amount from the Uncabaret and from mm. watching those writer performers do their thing mm. because um, it is – I mean, great stand-up is a balance between conscious and unconscious. Mm -hmm. You have a plan, you think you know where you're going, but then the moment, there's a flow of the moment that you get caught up in, and now suddenly you're surfing this other wave, and you got to surf it. Right. And uh, so that, watching people think on their feet, Mm -hmm. people who had had a lot of practice writing and performing, uh, coming on stage with the agenda of 
I want to really talk about what's really going on with me. Yes. I mean, that was ultimately the the agenda of the Uncabaret. Right. And I think that that's certainly the agenda of most good memoir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why are you telling us this story right. about yourself? Right. Exactly. Why now? Why are you telling us? Yeah. What? Right. What's What's the real, what's the thing that you have to what is the have, thing that you have to get across? Have to get across, you know, and 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 that you may be, uh, you know, I think writing is so fascinating. At least part of the process, that my process of writing is, I write to understand myself. Absolutely. You know, and it's really it's a strange thing that. In, something about the act of putting it on paper and and languaging it itself, putting it's, it into a structure of language helps to objectify it so then you can yeah, become the witness to absolutely, it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, a fantastic tool for self-knowledge, any kind of writing, even if it's fiction. Yeah. Uh, but especially memoir and, and first-person writing is an amazing way to understand yourself. And it is exactly that. You, yeah. You're literally pulling something out of your head that doesn't physically exist. Right. <laughs> and putting it out into the world. In some form. Yes. I mean, it's an amazing act of alchemy, really. It is. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. That is, it is the ultimate alchemy. Yeah. And that's why I love the, I mean, I love working with writers and I love the creative process because it's watching people do that and, oh my God, I have an idea. Like, I have an idea and now I have a thing out in the world (laughs) for people to reject and ignore. (laughs) But damn it, I made a thing. Yeah. There's uh I should have brought it out here I didn't bring it out here. Uh um I was I was at a really amazing weekend with a guy named Phil Quasino hmm. uh who worked with Joseph Campbell for years. Got to you know have dinner with him a lot and he uh has a whole uh thing about keeping the creative spark alive. Mm-hmm. And it was done at Pacifica where I went went to grad school. And I can't remember what the artist was, but some artist said that all of us all we want to do is make literally make our mark. Mm-hmm. We want to make a mark, whether it's a painter with a paintbrush or a, a singer-songwriter with music or a writer with words. There's, We want to be the person who puts something on the cave wall and says, yeah. I was here. Yeah. Well, apparently this is the, the point of evolution is to perpetuate the genes. Yes. And it, art is a way of perpetuating your genetic makeup. Yeah. And your take on the world and your personality. Yeah. It absolutely is that. Yeah. Abs- yeah. And it's an empowering act. I mean, even even if the even if the writing doesn't pan out the way you dreamed and when does it? <laughs> Never. Never. Zero. <laughs> Zero. It pans out the way something dreams. I don't know who's dreaming us. Yeah, exactly. But we aren't dreaming. I, I, I you know, it's I, one of the, I love reading biographies about people's lives because, you know, it looks like a lovely linear straight line. But, you know, when you really read about these people's lives and the failures and the things and the accidents and the happenstance of life. And the, the how many points where it could have gone a whole different direction. Co- completely. Yeah. And you yeah. really get like, oh, we're really not in charge. Yeah. You know, you can have I mean, that this that's part of the thing. Part of what I was kind of getting out of my essay a little bit, too, is that. You know, I want to say to potential clients, you know, like who uh, goals are important things, uh, deadlines we were talking about earlier, the importance oh, yeah. of deadlines, important things. Goals are like deadlines. They're important accountability. It helps you structure your energy towards something. 
But I always want to say to people, um, but how you're going to get this thing done and how it's going to manifest in the world, you really don't have any idea about that right now. A year from now, it's going to amaze you looking back at your life, what actually unfolded here. Yeah, or what the ramifications are. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, we have free will, but there's a lot of other factors. Yes, yes. There's a lot of, I've been reading a lot about free will lately. You know, really? the physicists don't believe there's any free will. Really? Yeah, they think that we are just all kind of it's all wired and we're just we're just we're we're kind of firing and the environment is it's just a call and response. There's no real free will, which mm-hmm. freaks me out completely. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't feel like that's true. I know, right? But I, I, I mean there are definitely factors yeah. outside ourselves yes. that don't have to do with free will. I would think so. But I, you know, I, I, it's confusing to me. I want to learn more about it because it really, really confuses me, this whole free will thing. I don't really... All right. We're going to look, look at a research team on that. <sighs> please, people out there, please help me with this. Tweet me something about free will. <laughs> 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 I need to believe I have some sort of tiny say here, but not really. I get it, but I know. But but if I decide to have chicken for dinner tonight, that wasn't free will, really? Well, I mean, you decided <laughs> to, you know, you had the free will to decide to make a podcast. This is You true. gave yourself a, a weekly deadline where the lines are going to be open and you're going to open your mouth and something's going to come out. Yes. You decided on top of that that you're writing an essay. And right. we were talking a little bit before we went on air of your process of like every Thursday morning, you're like, okay, time to come up with something. Gotta write it. So, you know, you kind of had the initial spark, then you set parameters for yourself, then you decide within those parameters what specifically you're going to write about. Right. Um, so there's, I feel like it, there's some free will yeah. involved. Yeah, I just, I, uh, I agreed. I'm, I'm with you on this completely. We're, we're sticking with free will. We are sticking with free will, damn it. I don't get it. These physicists, they drive crazy and fascinated by them completely. Um, This thing about rough drafts, I want to talk a little bit about this because Mm. um, I have that thing that happens to me, which is the uh, two things. One of which is uh, something happens in the middle and it starts to have a life of its own (laughs) and it starts to go and I'm suddenly I'm a hostage to it and I, you, and and you feel like you are just on the ride of it and it's in charge. Talk about having no free will. I envy you that. I don't think I've ever had that experience. Really? Yeah. I was writing a screenplay, had this major character and um, still haven't finished the screenplay because I knew I had to live my life some more before I could finish it. But literally this character got in her car and drove down to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> and I, of course, I get it. I'm the one typing the words. I'm the one in charge. And yet it was like, no, she's going down to Mexico because she has to go down to Mexico. And and suddenly all this stuff happened down there that it was like, oh, and I don't know if it'll ever stay in the screenplay, but I know it needed to happen for me to understand more about. Right. You're saying you didn't consciously I think I did it, not consciously think but it. But you subconsciously thought it. Uh, obviously, yes. I mean, something something. I mean, this is it. the, you know, this is the zone that we try to get into when we're writing, mm-hmm. right? Is when you're just channeling yes. something, yes. wherever the hell it's, who even cares where it's coming from? It's coming from somewhere and you've got a typewriter or a pen and right. by God, <laughs> you're going to get it out. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it happens to me all the time. I mean, I'll sit down with an idea... Like when I write these essays, or I'll start with a just a 
okay, what do I know? And I just start and then stuff starts to come out. And I think, who the hell is writing this? What's happening here? Well, but that is really, I mean, you're tapping into a deeper part of yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Or the universe or God, if you believe in that. Whatever your word is for it. Right, exactly. Uh, And so, I mean, I think that's a fascinating part of the process is that there's you make all these conscious decisions to get yourself to a place where you can tap your unconscious or your subconscious. Yes. And that's, I mean, I've never had a, a... a character or a story really take take the reins, uh-huh. uh, but I have had the experience, and it's a, a, a you know it's a joyous one mm-hmm. where you are suddenly like, oh my god, two hours went by, oh, yes. and I guess I've been writing this whole time. <laughs> No wonder my ass hurts and I'm so hungry. Right, exactly. I forgot to eat again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it happens with music. It happens with, you know, in any creative pursuit. Yeah, yeah. So, something does take you for a ride. And so the, you know, I think that the challenge of the rough draft is keeping yourself out of being too conscious. Right. Is but- trying to kind of fight the consciousness, at where, which is where the editor is and where the self-doubt is and where all of the things that are going to stop you from getting to the end are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any way you can short-circuit that right. is a good thing. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I wonder sometimes whether that's the function of procrastination whether you cuz i've tried to come up with actually positive positive uh, aspects yes. of procrastination yes. uh one is that you're just not ready to really write what you want to write yet right and even either in the short term or the long term it's like oh i have this story you know this novel that i've been meaning to do for right. 8 years but it's well, not really ready to be birthed obviously you're not ready to write it yet yeah. or is you'd it, be writing you'd it you'd be writing it yeah uh and uh you know, everybody has, every writer has the procrastination problem. And yeah. it's like the amount of time that you spend yes. on Facebook and on, you know. Yeah, these days it's real easy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, there's always been I need plenty. To pro- I need to promote myself more. I need to go on exactly, Twitter. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. So I, that, and, you know, uh, so so I've got my, my strategy on, my current strategy on that is um, constructive procrastination. Yes. I don't have to write the thing I really am. You know, I had like I just finished a rewrite that I was doing for somebody Mm -hmm. and um, I found suddenly everything else (laughs) seemed so fascinating and pressing and I really should account my receipts. And clean the toilet. I tell you, my house gets very clean. You know what? It's good to clean the toilet. (laughs) It's good to do that. So what? And you are some part of you is writing at that point. Obviously, something is going on. You know, there's some subconscious thing happening until it boils up to the point where you can't stop it anymore. And then you sit down and you finally write. And, you know, the actual, I mean, I'm just, it's just amazing to me the amount of time when you're, quote, writing, that you're actually writing. Yes. It's minuscule, and yet you can really get a lot done. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm working with a client right now who's working on her thesis mm-hmm. uh, for her master's, and she started about two weeks ago. She's in the gather. She's No, she was gathering before that, and then just two weeks ago, she sat down, she started working on just rough draft. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, I now get it. I'm writing 24-7. 
She's writing when right. she's doing the laundry. She's writing when she's picking up the kids. And I said to right. her, pen and paper, recorder, whatever it right. is, always near you because you are writing and just get it all down. Anytime it comes, you better... You better be there, you baby. You better grab it because <laughs> you think you're going to remember it. But no, you don't. You you don't. don't and let me tell you, as with each decade, you remember less and less. <laughs> like, where the fuck are my keys again? Damn it. Um, here's my thought on procrastination, which just kind of hit me. Um, from a kind of a psychology point of view is I think the ego, because writing is so much about deepening and, and and lowering yourself into the subconscious world, I think the ego gets very nervous about that mm-hmm. because the nerve, the ego has to step aside on some level for that to happen. And I think it's the ego, the ego going, I'm not going to step aside. The ego is built built to not step aside. Exactly. Because if you step aside too often, you're on the streets speaking to people with tin hats on, but, um, (laughs) or you are one with a person with a tin hat. Uh, But uh, I I think it's, yeah, a little bit of a dance with the, with the controller part of the ego that wants to be like, no, I'm, I'm in charge of this and we can't let go and let the subconscious yeah. come and play for two hours and you forget to eat. Yeah. That's insane. That a crazy people do that. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I have a, a how do you, I, this is like a really specific question, but it's something that always daunts me in the long, ter- the long project. I'm here to help. Especially the screenplay. Mm-hmm. The second act. Yeah. Fuck. I know. <laughs> I know that damn second act. Um, Man. I'm trying to remember. I have a friend who's a a, a fairly prolific screenwriter who had – she had a a great analysis that was like the the big stalling points on on screenplays are at the – between the first and second act. If you stall between the first and second act, uh, it's that you have a premise, not a story. Oh, beautiful. I could totally see that. And if you stall in the middle – it's because you have a story, but you haven't committed to it. Ah, uh-huh. so I'm not sure if that's totally true, but there's a. I mean, the middle of the second act, yeah. the middle of the script, <sighs> treacherous. Is, it's the Sargasso Sea. Yes, it's deadly. <laughs> it is deadly, and um, that's really the time to to get just. I mean, the whole thing of the the. The second act is just – it's get about momentum. It. You've just got to get to the end. Yeah, even if it's just the shittiest second act it ever in humanity's Sketch history. Sketch it in right. whatever you have to do to get, to to get that. through it. Yeah, because once you're in the third act, if, if, if you've got an idea where that ending is, you can get yes. there and you're like, okay, now yes. I know where it needs – I know I know who needs to end up where. Right, exactly. And then you can look, go back to, look back at the second act and you can go, well, what do I really – you know, what do we care about or we is the is the central storyline strong enough? Mm-hmm. Is the side character too distracting too much? Mm-hmm. Are there too many characters? You know right. the, all those kinds of decisions. But you don't know until you get until you lay it all out on the table. Right? Yeah. Uh, so that's something about the middle of the second mm-hmm. act. Um, oh, the middle of the second <laughs> act. I know it really happens almost every time. Yeah. Almost yeah. Every time. And you- you can feel it when you're watching a movie too, where yeah. they didn't know what to and do they're with. They're like, "Wait, I know it's a chase scene. It's no. a chase. <laughs> oh god, montage <laughs> sequence. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why you know. Then you then then you grab some some genre, you know, formula, right. yes. element, and toss that in. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, you know, Raymond Chandler's famous thing is like when you when he ran out of steam and he wasn't sure what to do next, send some guys in the door with some gu- with guns. <laughs> 
That'll what? get it going That'll again. Get it. There'll be conflict again, people. Um, so I think that the that's the thing with the middle is, you know, wh- where are you really going? Do you know that you're going there? Get there. Even mm. if you have to leave the middle sketchy, it doesn't matter. Right, right. It ultimately doesn't matter. You're going to go back and fix it. Yeah, I mean, you're going you to have yeah. the, 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 yeah. the, to. It's another great illusion, I think, of writing that like, why oh, this is I, this is so clear. I could just put the first draft and then a little polish and I'll be done. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Of yeah, course. You yeah. tell yourself that because if you really admitted <laughs> how many hours and how much work it was going to take, you would never do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you fool yourself into thinking that it's just going to be, oh, this one, this one. Nah. <laughs> no, this will write itself. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> If only. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, it helped for me to articulate also uh, uh, the stuff in the, 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 basically the book is like phase one is gathering, phase two is planning, phase three is the rough draft, and phase four is revising, Mm -hmm. which contains the other three. Again, you sort of recycle back through, you you gather other feedback, you gather other opinions, Mm -hmm. you get anything you don't need, you replan it, you re-outline it, then you redraft it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you you do that and rinse and repeat (laughs) uh, until finally you're ready to release it either, you know, into a desk drawer or into the world. (laughs) Uh, and so where was that thought going? So that's – so it's helped me really to articulate – I mean this is the – again, the power of the writing process. I've been working with people piecemeal on different aspects of the writing process. They would get stuck at this phase or that phase and I would come up with something to like, well, why don't you try this or why don't you try that? Mm-hmm. And um, the book was an opportunity to just put it all together and it helped me articulate those phases of the writing and and really be clear that different phases of the project require different kinds of writing. Right. You yes. Know, rough drafting is way different than polishing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You get to have many different uh, parts of yourself participate yeah. in the writing process. Yeah. It, it is not one Right, one part of the mind. Right, and so knowing that. where you are in the in the process really helps you just be like, okay, well, this is just the rough draft. I don't have to worry about this yeah. or that or yeah. the thing or the plan. I, you know, I'm just gonna. All I have to do is get to the end. Just get to the end. Follow the plan. Stick with the plan. Yep. Keep going. Oh wait, here's a new side trail. Okay, sure, I'll take the little sideway. Whatever. Just keep going. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things I think that beginner writers have difficulty with is is uh, is editing themselves is going back and revising you know it's hard it, it is hard and yet i have found that although it's hard you like that part i can tell it's the greatest pleasure yeah. i get <laughs> because that's when you really get to see your articulation right am is it landing the way i want it to right. is this a, initial impulse that i had this creative impulse that that i can feel in my body it's a it's whole in my body. I can feel it. It's a whole vision. Is it actually landing on the page? Right. Is it articulating? And uh, when I learned to love that, writing got a lot easier for me mm-hmm. because I also love to gather. That's a, a part I love also. You yeah. Know? The, oh, the research. I love that. Yes. Yes. And like and letting your kind of your mind just be this free flowing thing and have everything inspire you and you're bouncing off the walls with it. You know, it's just, it's, you feel very expanded in that, yeah, in that state. Absolutely. Um, and, but, you know, sitting down and working a piece into its, its, you know, really honed shaped form is there's a pleasure in that. Ah, 
Yeah. Love that. Well, this is it's also it's another way to think about it is you're expanding and then contracting and then yes. expanding and then contracting. Yeah, you're exactly. You're doing that witnessing and then you're deepening into it and witnessing and then yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. 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 Just like the universe. Just like the universe. Just like life. Imagine that, right? right? I forget just... where the physicists came down are coming down now, right? Or it expand the universe expands and contracts? I believe so. Or are they still on like there was a singularity and now it's I th- just expanding? I think it's yeah, they, they it's they were thought it was supposed to be contracting and then they looked at it and it's like no, it's still expanding. But the new thing is that there's all this dark matter and they don't know what the fuck the universe right. is made out of. Right. Which I just love. <laughs> right. No, I mean I know some scientists. I love talking to them and the, the really the, the you know the progressive scientists mm-hmm. and conscious scientists are like the more I learn the more I realize that we don't know we have I no know. idea what we're talking I about I love that nothing we know nothing virtually nothing there's I know we we know <laughs> we're just scratching the surface <laughs> of what we've conceived uh, our understanding of what we know about the universe which is just an understanding of of what we understand about the of universe what we think we understand of what we think we understand <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, but I mean, it is. And so I think that in a way, the writing process is sort of a metaphor for that. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you you have an idea. You think you know what you're doing. You you whip it out. Then you step back, you show it to somebody else and you realize, oh, wait a minute. I didn't. This wasn't what I thought it was at yep. all. Like, yep. I, I wanted to actually ask you about the process of working on your show, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is great and has a lot of elements in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was wondering if you you did pieces of it if you showed it to like at what phase you yeah. brought other people in I, I did all s- sorts of things with it first of all i had some set i, I had a set outline of a memoir so I, I i've been working on the beats of my life for about 10 years and i did a one-woman show in 2000 where i kind of covered those some of those basic beats and there's there were some stories already laid out so i had I kind of had the basic beats of it. And then what was interesting about this particular solo show I'm doing, though, is that it was birthed from an event where I went on a cruise ship with Lewis Black, and he said, "Um, I want you and Bob, my husband, to come on. We want to party with you, but I need a day event. So you need to do a day event. So why don't you just play some videos of your dad and tell some stories about your family? I was like, okay. So I did that, and literally that's how it was born. It's a great low-pressure way. Totally low-pressure. I went out, and I did an hour and 15 minutes – that morning, I mean, I picked the videos that morning and just like kind of just tabbed, okay, talk about mom and dad meeting in Dayton, Ohio, talk about this, da, 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 acid. You know, I had some kind of set things, mom dying, you know. And uh, and so that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And people were floored by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I get that there's a longing here. So, so that's how it was born. And then what I did was- Right, but I think it's interesting also that like you knew you wanted to do it but then when it came to the specifics, you were like, oh, all right, well, I guess I'll just toss this stuff had, out. Had no- and, and then you didn't really know what you were do- what you had until people responded yeah. to it. And then I did, I did about five months at, on a stage down at the Comedy Magic Club on their little lounge stage. And once every three weeks, I would go and just tell stories for an hour and a half, two mm-hmm. hours. Sometimes there were new stuff, sometimes, it, and I would just blab and blab and blab, and it would be too long and wrong. And sometimes I mentioned things that I was like, oh, not mentioning that again. And then I would go. And would you record it? I would record it. Yeah. And then I would go and I would edit and think about it. And three weeks later, I would come back with another version of it, with the other power, videos. It's the power of talking out loud, people. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then I, and I found, though, that I'm much better of a writer when I sit down and write 
than if I talk out loud. I'm not a good talker out louder. Right, but I, bet I mean, that, in some but ways, I bet the I taking it to stage gave you a real sense of, you know, because you said how things land. Yes. Like, how does it land on the page? Yes. How do people really perceive it? On stage, you feel it. Yeah. They react. They yeah. laugh or they don't laugh or they lean forward or... Absolutely. Absolutely. And they want, or they want to know more about that part and less about right. that, you know. And then right. I, I brought, I mean, Paul was there part of the process the whole time, but really then I leaned on Paul Provenza. Mm -hmm. we, we got it basically up on stage for Montreal in July of 2010. And then it was like, or 2011. And then it was like, okay, we need to really work this. We need to work the themes. We mm -hmm. need to revise, revise, revise. And we spent about four months just revising, 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 on, revising. On paper. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Uh, and it just became uh, that process. And that, that was when everything really came, all, all the things started linking and coming together. Right. Um, but it was, it was interesting because it wasn't how I would have approached it. If, if it had been an idea that kind of was born. I knew I was going to work on something like that project. I thought it would be a memoir first. Um, but I never thought of like doing clips of my dad or anything like that. I, I just, but because it was kind of born in this weird event kind of a way, it, it kind of entered my creative life from a different direction. And it's the one project where in some ways I'm disconnected to it because of that. Mm. It wasn't born from like, I get these visions of things. Like I'm working on a project, a TV project right now. And I I had a full-blown vision and it's like, it feels like it came from the insides of my guts. And that's where I normally work from. This thing came from my head in some ways. So it's really weird to be... Also, it came in response to a specific it, invitation. It did, it did. And I feel like in some ways it's, it's not mine. Mm. It's really... I mean, for me, when I first conceived of doing it, it was really about giving my father's fans an opportunity to be with him one more time. Right. And that's what it was for me. And so when I connect to that, then I feel I'm connected to the piece. Right. Because that's the heart of why I did the piece. That's awesome. I mean, I, the, I, I've had the, a similar conversation around that same idea with a lot of writers who are like – what I'm feeling while I'm writing this and my process and and it's and and the way to get out of that is to just flip it and just go, but what's the audience getting? Yes. Yeah. What are you giving them? Absolutely. Like is this a, a romantic ride? Is it a, you mm -hmm. know, thrill seeking thing? Is it nostalgia? Mm -hmm. Is it you know, what what? What yeah. are you giving them? Yeah. Um and because uh, ultimately that's what's gonna make it pop off the page if it's writing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and ultimately that, it, I mean, although we do this work to to process and to understand ourselves and because we have to, and we have this urge or this idea or this story or this character inside of us, whatever it is, but ultimately, um, if you do bring it out into the world, you're going to have a relationship with the audience. And the audience will let you know the impact it's having. Yeah. I mean, I think that in a way that's the tricky thing about uh, a book mm. is that it's mm -hmm. such – it's so delayed. Yes. I mean, stage is so immediate. Yeah. 
you know, people laugh or they don't. Yep. Uh, on the page, it's like you've got to get it and then you've got a thing and then there's an agent, there's an editor, there's a publisher or <laughs> yourself publishing and then by the time it's out, it's already out and you can't go back. And Yeah. And your, and your process with it was two years ago. Right. And now here you are on a radio show and you have to talk about it. You know, you get that a lot too. And people are actually, well, I'm in the process of writing something else, but I'm promoting this thing. Right. I'm already, I've already moved I've on. I've moved on. Yeah. yeah. I've creatively moved on. I'm kind of, I, I did that thing that I birthed it, the kids in kindergarten already. <laughs> I know it'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm working on gestating a new one. Yeah, truly, truly interesting. Uh, do you, um, I mean, you clearly do all this amazing work with other people and coach and, and, and lift other people through their process. How much do you get to work on your stuff these days? Um. I have been uh, pretty productive lately, ah. I have to say. Uh, the book took, I guess, about two years, mm -hmm. one year of really sort of rough draft, up, up to a rough assembly of it, and mm -hmm. then another year of cutting right. and rewriting. Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of re-kick-started the process because I'd been – I got caught up in producing a lot of – a lot of work, uh, mm -hmm. stage and media stuff. And because uh, I had originally come out to LA as a screenwriter mm. and uh, I loved it and then I stopped loving it and then I stopped doing it. <laughs> and the producing was just so much more immediate. And, yes. uh, you know, I, I was like, if I, if I have to pitch one more thing and have another meeting where we're talking about something but nothing's happening, yeah. I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. And uh, at least I, you can go make something when you produce. Something, I'm an impatient. A live I'm show a little impatient. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, well, come on, kids, let's put on a show. Yeah, exactly. Get, get on with this already. And um, that was really fun and satisfying. Um, and then I cycled around again to like, well, maybe there's some things I need to actually put on paper. Mm. And so it started with the book, and then that kind of uh, led to. Um, I did a TV pilot. Uh, I have a screenplay that I'm working on now. Uh, I had another idea that, you know, it, because I've worked in a lot of media, I'm not really, uh, I'm not exclusive to any one medium. Right. Yeah. I feel like they're all great and yeah. it sort of depends on what's the project. And yes. I had this. I was like, okay, I, didn't, I got paid to do a re little rewrite. That was good. I got the, you know, the muscles back in shape a little bit, the writing muscles. And uh, and then I had uh, a couple of ideas that I thought were screenplays, but they weren't gelling in the right way. I could feel like there's definitely something there I want to write about, but like, hmm. You know, I one one of them was like, oh, and then I put a chase, and I was like, okay, no, no, that's that's a bad <laughs> sign when you're putting a chase into the thing. <laughs> uh, and so I uh, and so I just kind of let it stew mm. for a while. I mean, it's uh, writing. It's like there's a lot of patience involved. Mm -hmm. I think there really is. Mm -hmm. You're like, I'm just not. I don't. I'm not clear enough on this. What's the form of it? Yeah. What's the goal of it really? How's it going to really come across? And um, and then and and meanwhile, I had been taking pictures, and I had this goofy app for my you know photo app for my phone, and uh, and then one of the images somehow. Uh, caught in my mind i was like oh my god it's a graphic novel <laughs> wow so i don't know if it really will like 
I I sort of mocked up a couple of things, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, it's pretty cool as a graphic novel. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And now it's like, well, okay, if I really want to do it, now I have to kind of cast it and stage some things and really do yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, but it was interesting because I had really never thought that. Uh. Um, and I had never – I've enjoyed some graphic novels, but I don't love them. Yeah, I don't yeah, feel yeah. like it's my thing. But, you know, who knows what form these things want to take sometimes. God, if you ever go to Nerd Melt Comics, mm-hmm. you walk in there, oh, immediately you want to be a graphic novelist. <laughs> You're like, oh, I want to do this. This is the greatest way to tell a story. Graphic novels are cool. They are cool. But damn, you're like, oh, I'm done with it. Like I read it in five minutes and I'm really bummed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I guess there's longer ones. Well, too. probably that's a good formula for a writer, you know. Yeah. You can crank them out and. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Although I, I don't know. Anyway, anyway I I'd don't have know. To, I'm going to have to look into the graphic that's, novel creation process. That's good. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, it's so creative and just it's, it's because it's visual and yeah. I mean, it's just, a, it's very neat. Yeah. Very, very, very cool. Very yeah. cool genre. So, um, so I guess the short answer is yes. I have been, I have good. found some time. That's good to know. I, um, you know, my displacement activity when I I'm supposed to be doing the, re- the paid rewrite that I don't really want to do is mm-hmm. like, oh, what if I worked on my graphic novel? <laughs> you know. There's always something. Constructive I, procrastination. I'm working on my first self-published ebook right now, you know, and it's yeah. like, oh, I can always go and reformat that thing there and do that thing. And, you know, because I'm working with old material that I have, I'm just putting stuff. I'm just, oh, yeah. my thing right now is all about releasing. I've got a ton of shit I've been writing forever yep. and I don't necessarily want to go and put it all in a certain form and try to get it published and all that. I'm just like, I'm just going to put it in enough of a form right now. And just, I just want to release a bunch of stuff because I feel like if I do that, then there's going to be some space for the real. Yeah. You got to move the inventory. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And I've been literally sitting on all this stuff for 10 years. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, and the eBooks are, brilliant and for easy that. i mean kindle it's amazing you just do this thing and you and, up, up, and up, off it goes it and off yeah. it goes into a whole new world i had i had a we should talk about ebooks actually because it's I, I there have been a, a few clients recently where they're like oh and i have this idea for a tv script and it's like you have no credits you're not selling a tv right. script right you know right unless it's maybe maybe unless it's the most brilliant thing ever right right but probably not yep and so, you know, I've had to say to a couple of people, like, have you thought about doing it as an ebook? Mm-hmm. You can just do it. You know, then you have to do the soul crushing drudgery of, of actually marketing it and getting the word you, out. You do. Or not. But you, but have you can some, get it out in you a get form. get a resume going. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, absolutely. So, I mean, that was, uh, I saw also that, um, you know, Ellen Zweibel, the yes. great Saturday Night Live writer and uh, Thurber Prize winning author, uh, uh, I saw did a thing that's like, a, I guess it's a Kindle single or something that he's calling from the bottom drawer, mm. which is literally just stuff he's right. pulling out of his bottom drawer. He's like, ah, put this up on the Yeah, I mean, I'm going to charge, like, you know, I'm doing my, I'm yeah, doing 99 my, I'm doing my academic papers and my thesis. I'm like, 99 yeah. cents for that, baby. Put just out. put it out there and, put it out. you know, get my stories out and everything like that. Absolutely. I mean, it is a cool thing because I think there's, like getting through a rough draft, there's a psychological boost to having something out in the world. Look, I've got something out yes. on Amazon. Oh, look, now I have a second. Now I have a third. I, now ha- I had a very distinct image over Christmas about like, like if I really thought about it, I I could have four things on a shelf. Yeah. You know, and it's like, those are four things that I want on a shelf. I just want to say, I have those things on the shelf. Here they are. I've got some momentum. I know, you know, 
I know how to finish something. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really important to know that you can finish something. It is very, it really, very really true. Is. It is very true. I mean, so much of writing is psyching yourself up. Right? It is. It's it's 99% of it, I do believe. <laughs> well, okay, 92. Yeah. Some high percentage. Quite a high percentage. 5.4. Yeah. Somewhere around there. And then there's 5% actually writing it. That's true. <laughs> And then the 1% being up at night writing it, too, when it wakes you up in the middle of the night. That's a fun one, too. Oh, yeah. 4 a.m. Oh, my God. Holy shit. I got to go to the computer. I got to sit down and write. Yeah. That's a great feeling. Well, that's when you know you're really in. That's when you're in. You're in the soup then, You're man. in deep. There was a funny quote from uh, Keith Richards in the, you know, in his autobiography in life where he's like, even if you're, you know, this is my horrible Keith Richards. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, if, if, you know, when you're really working on a song, man, you know, even you're thinking about it all the time. I'm that chord progression. Like even when you're banging the old lady or having a swim, you're still <laughs> thinking, what, is that the right chord? That's awesome. It is true. It is true. Well, we have run out of time. So uh, thank you for being here. I know. Absolutely. It's amazing. I time guess we can talk. Time flies. Uh, so Greg's book is called How to Be a Writer Who Writes, Strategies and Tactics to Start and Finish your book or script. And you can get that on the Kindle. It is uh, on the Kindle. Amazon. Can, it's on yeah, Amazon. If you search how to be a writer who writes or go to othernetwork.com. That's my website where I'm blo- I blog all kinds of stuff, how to do book queries, how to, you know, Fantastic. all kinds of things. Othernetwork.com. Othernetwork.com is where you will find Greg and all of his stuff. And uh, – and you know where you can find me? You can find me at kellycarlin.com. I bedazzled my website this week, updated, put all, put all the new dates in, put all the new appearances in. Uh, speaking of which, March 10th, I will be at Second City doing sketch comedy with the crew there for a show called TMI. Come on down and watch me do my Roseanne bar imitation and my Valley Girl, probably. And uh, and then March 23rd, uh, I a Carlin Home Companion will be at the Acme Comedy Theater in Hollywood. Please come see in, me and my family. Um, you know, I tell stories about what it was like. If you ever wanted to ask me when you came up to me and said, Hey, Kelly, what was it like growing up as George Carlin's daughter? You will know the answer at the end of the show. <laughs> And it's great. It's really funny, and it's oh, deep, and there's great clips. Thank you. Yes, it's 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 all it's everything the whole, for the whole family. It's everything. Everything for the whole family. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll be happy. You'll be sad. It'll be great. Uh, Logan, do you have any gigs you're doing coming up here? You know, I uh, nothing books, but I'm going to have something that same week. We're setting up with some artists. We're just locating a venue. March 21st, 22nd. Locating a venue. A venue to be told at another time. Logan will be local here. Uh, so everyone, I want to thank everyone at Smodcast. Uh, I want to thank Logan today for being here and Will, who's out there listening in, and Kevin Smith for being the god of Smodcastism. It's the new religion, the Kevin Smith's god Smodcastism. And uh, I think that's it. Uh, hey, here's something. If you want to support our work here at Waking from the American Dream, just go to my website, kellycarlin.com forward slash waking, and you will see a beautiful PayPal button. Push it. Give us some bucks. It'll pay for the electricity. It'll pay for Logan's gas money. It'll pay to feed my husband chicken dinner tomorrow. You want Bob to have chicken dinner, don't you? All right, everyone. Have a great week. And uh, we'll be back next week with... 
Katie Goodman will be here next week. Pre-recorded show with Katie Goodman. Oh, you're going to love it. We had a blast. And we're going out with what song? Killing Time by Alan Stone. Killing Time by Alan Stone. Everyone have a great week. See you later. Mama said, son, don't you want to pass the days? I planted all my dreams in fields of hope. Watered them and thought I'd see them grow. I've been killing time, but time just won't die. But the stars are too high And I planted all my seeds But now the world's run dry I've been killing time But time just won't die I've been all the way from Jackson to Spokane With a pocket full of change Just trying to buy some plans just like summer fades into fall So has my pace faded to crawl I've been killing time but time just won't die Shooting for the stars but the stars are too high And I planted all my seeds but stars are too high And I planted all my seeds But now the wells run dry I've been killing time But time just won't Killing time But time just won't Killing time But time just won't die Smodco Internet Radio broadcasts the free funny, but you can broadcast your Smodco love with merchandise. Shirts, posters, comics, memorabilia, and more. JayandSilentBob.com is your hub for comic book men, Secret Stash, and Kevin Smith's cinematic catalog. It's an online one-stop shop that fulfills your need, minus the weed. JayandSilentBob.com. Bookmark it, baby. Hey man, one more horrorish little beat if you don't mind. Jay and Silent Bob Super Groovy Cartoon Movie uh, is coming your way. If you go to csmod.com slash groovy movie, 
you can see all the dates where it's going to be playing. And as of Friday, uh, March 1st, you're going to be able to see the trailer, man. We're dropping the trailer and all the tickets go on sale all across America. There's a bunch of dates, about 17, I think, dates to start off with. We're going to be adding lots more. But uh, don't wait, man. The pre-sale went really well. We sold out a lot of our VIP tickets. So uh, jump online right now. csmod.com slash groovymovie. Come see me and Jay. We'll show you a Jay and Silent Bob super groovy cartoon movie. This brand new Jay and Silent Bob cartoon flick that Muse made. And then we'll do a Jay and Silent Bob Get Old episode right afterwards and Q&A it so you'll be on the episode. Man, it's a good time. So go check it out. csmod.com slash groovymovie.